Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. My guest this time is Barbie Balls. She's a registered dietitian and certified health coach with over 22 years of experience. Her goal is to help her clients achieve optimal wellness without the pseudoscience and the unsustainable rules of fatty diet. Her evidence-based and holistic approach emphasises nourishing foods, quality sleep, daily movement, managing stress and prioritising self-care. And she brings a deep understanding of the psychology and neuroscience behind our behaviour surrounding food. Welcome to the podcast, Barbie. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here with you today. So your uh, your Instagram handle is the Cognition Dietitian. Yes. What made you decide to to sort of specialize in that in that particular area? Is I have always been particularly interested in women's health, women's nutrition, women's wellness. Mm-hmm. And over the course of my career, it ha- I've just kind of naturally, gradually narrowed focus. So it began very broadly as women's nutrition and wellness. Then it became women over 40, nutrition and wellness. Mm-hmm. And then when I start, I've always had a passion and interest for neuroscience and it all just kind of came together. I think that I'm 50, I'll be 52 in a couple of weeks. And I think, you know, as happens in midlife for many women, they, they, we start to really go with what is what we're passionate about. Yeah. It becomes that much more important to really be turned on by the work we're doing, the way we're living our lives. And I decided I really wanted to bring this into my practice. So I did a lot of research. I did a lot of work. And also my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's this summer. And so it all just kind of came together that this, I'm going to combine my passion with my knowledge and uh, bring it to people in a way that hopefully will really be helpful and uh, impactful. I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Um, my, my mother also has Alzheimer's. She's been diagnosed for several years and I guess is now sort of relatively late stage on despite only being in her mid 70s. So for, for me, and probably for a lot of people listening, that's perhaps one of the one of the scariest things about aging is mm-hmm. that huge prevalence of, of dementia, because obviously as women, we're twice as likely to experience Alzheimer's that's right. as men. That's right. Yeah, I mean, six million people in the US alone and two thirds of them are women. And, you know, I'm so sorry about your mother. And again, but mid 70s, right, as is my mother, which is Mm. awfully young, honestly, um, to be experienced that level, be experiencing that level of decline uh, cognitively. But I can't tell you how many women in particular, men as well, but women in particular have reached out to me saying that their mother has been diagnosed in her late 60s, early 70s in just the last couple of years. So we are we are definitely dealing with something and hopefully prevention is something that we can all start to, no pun, but wrap our heads around, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And as you talk, um, you know, in some of the, the posts on Instagram about essentially, you basically, you can't start too, too early to, to kind of do that preventative nutrition. So how, mm-hmm. yeah, how, how can we start to, to think about that? And obviously... I've talked in in another an earlier episode about the sometimes there's sort of that overwhelm of <laughs> trying to tick all the nutritional boxes. So um, yeah, I think I think it's sometimes it's hard trying to balance those things of trying to be kind of mindful and proactive, but also not overwhelm ourselves. So do you have any good thoughts on that front? Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought up that it's never too early. You know, as we know now, the changes that lead to the actual symptoms of dementia begin decades prior and and who knows, maybe even before that. 
So it's never too early to begin. Um, that overwhelm problem is an issue, and it's because our, our nutrition and wellness community the culture is just inundated with so much information. A lot of it is erroneous and we have to really kind of tease out for ourselves what works. First and foremost, each person is physiologically unique. So what is working for someone else may not necessarily work for you, either because it's just not something you enjoy and therefore it's not sustainable, or it doesn't work with your chemistry or it doesn't work with your lifestyle. So it's really important to not feel your stress, whatever your, your philosophy is, or your, your wellness rather, should not be stressful. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> antithetical, right? I mean, we, it should feel easy. And that means different things to different people. So there are certainly foods that are bursting with nutrients that are really beneficial to the brain, but there is no such thing as a superfood. There really isn't a super diet. There is, if you want to use the term super, a super lifestyle. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's multifactorial. I base my practice on what I call the four pillars of optimal wellness. So we have nutrition, sleep, exercise, and managing stress. Each one is equally important. I think of it like a table with four legs, each pillar being a leg. If any of these legs is weak, we are not strong. We are right. not in optimal wellness. So um, it's not just about nutrition and exercise, which I think is where all the focus goes. And we lose sight of how unbelievably important, particularly to brain health, sleep and managing stress are. So, you know, each of these is sort of its own conversation, but, you know, I would say to someone, look at those four areas of your wellness and decide which one you want to tackle first. Don't go for all at once because a lot of, a lot of the people who come to me are very messy in all four pillars. And we decide how, which one is going to have the greatest impact on right. your life. So which, which one are you going to tackle first and then we'll go on to the next one? That's right. And usually for my clients, it's stress. Um, I work with a lot of women who are executives, professionals, traveling all the time, also managing a family, maybe managing parents, you know, active mm. in their community. It's usually getting a handle on stress first, and then we can start tackling everything else. But for others, it's nutrition or sleep or exercise and whatever it is, I work with them. But honestly, pay attention to that stress piece because it can really derail all of your wellness efforts in other areas. Yeah, and definitely the more um, more kind of I understand about the impact of of that on it's, it's all there's an interplay of everything, isn't it? The stress impacts the sleep, your stress impacts your cortisol levels, and yeah, you can't disentangle it all. Yes, and I, in fact, I just posted in my story today. There is a, an account on Instagram. She's a neuroscientist. It's Nicole's Neuroscience, and she did a little diagram of how stress impacts depression. So it's very, it's a very clear pathway. I mean, it's a very complicated pathway, mm. but there is a very direct pathway between stress and depression. Also the foods you eat, um, if they are inflammatory, how inflammation can lead to depression. So it's something that we really need to tackle if we're going to be in optimal wellness. I have known people whose only risk factor for dementia, including Alzheimer's, was in fact stress. They do not have elevated mm. blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease. They have always lived very healthy lifestyles, but they have had a great deal of stress. So, and stress shrinks your brain. So, and how, so how, how does stress impact on the, uh, on inflammation? It's a chemical reaction. I mean, it begins with the cortisol and the adrenaline and then right. the way that it impacts the hippocampus in particular, which is really what's under attack primarily initially in dementia, 
the shrinking of the, the hippocampus. It is a, a profound effect on all of the chemical reactions in mm-hmm. the brain. And then of course, when we have elevated cortisol chronically, it, I just want to make this point really quick because I do think it's important. There is good stress and there is bad <laughs> stress. There is the type of stress we experience, let's say, when you're working on a really important project or you're about to give a speech or you're on a roller coaster. You know, I mean, that's good stress. And yes, it has the same physiological effect in the moment. It's but transient. It's when stress, yeah. That's transient. And, and it's intended to, our, our stress response is very primitive. It's intended to get us away from, you know, woolly mammoths <laughs> in a hurry. It's not intended to be chronic as it is when we're worrying about our mortgage and our children and the economy and crime. And it is constant now. And that mm. creates elevated cortisol and elevated cortisol can lead to elevated blood pressure, heart disease, dementia, visceral fat storage, elevated blood sugar. It is extremely damaging and inflammatory to the human body, and we have too much of it. And so anything we can do to lower it is going to be beneficial, not only for our brains, but our metabolic health. And I do begin with my clients with their metabolic health, because that is the precursor in many cases, not all, but in many cases, high blood pressure, elevated A1C or blood sugar, elevated LDL cholesterol, and excess visceral fat or abdominal fat are all risk factors for dementia. So whatever we can do to get metabolic health in good shape, we are going to lower our risk by about 60%. Wow, that much. So that's why I also talk about metabolic health. Mm. So, so let's say we've, we've kind of, we've taken some steps to mitigate the stress, reduce our sort of general stress levels. So we hear, we do hear more and more about sort of an anti-inflammatory diet. What are the kinds of things that we should be focusing on if that's where we want to make an impact? I always say the easiest place to start is leafy greens every day and a rainbow throughout the week. So getting leafy greens of some kind in on a daily basis. The brains of people who consume, this was from the MIND diet study published at Rush University in 2015. Three cups of leafy greens a day, the people who consumed uh, three cups of leafy greens a day had brains that, that acted 11 years younger than their counterparts who did not. So leafy greens, they have the broadest spectrum of phytonutrients of all the vegetable family, of all the colors. The phytonutrients Mm -hmm. are the pigments in fruits and vegetables that appear to be beneficial to health, reduce our risk of disease, reduce inflammation. Green contains the widest spectrum. So we get greens every day and then a rainbow throughout the week. So the purples, the oranges, the yellows, the reds. So that's where I would begin. And then nuts. Um, Vitamin E is particularly important for the brain. Um, Mm -hmm. A quarter cup of almonds has half the vitamin E you need, and they're delicious. And we've got monounsaturated fat there too, which also reduces inflammation. Olive oil, the phenols in in olive oil, the oleocanthals reduce inflammation and are very beneficial for the brain. Whole grains, you know, a lot of people are afraid of grains, but if they are whole and minimally processed, we've got a ton of nutrients happening there. And the gut is very important to the brain. We cannot be in good gut health if we are not consuming fiber-rich carbohydrates. We only get fiber from carbohydrates. We do not get fiber from, from animal proteins or fats. We get it only from plants. Mm-hmm. So we need to be consuming carbohydrates to have good gut health, which is going to lead to good brain health. 
in addition to that, the brain runs almost exclusively on carbohydrate, on glucose. So yet another reason that we do need carbohydrates. We don't need to be consuming as many as we are <laughs> and in the forms that we are, you know, the ultra refined, a lot of sugar, but whole plant carbohydrates are really important to brain health. That's uh, for somebody, I'm just kind of, you know, envisaging what three cups of leafy greens looks like. That That's potentially for a lot of people quite a big step change in, in right. kind of behavior, eating behavior. Right. And you can build up to it. And this doesn't have, I mean, you, you know, in the morning, it could be a little sauteed spinach in your omelet. In the, in the midday, it could be, you know, a, a small salad. In the evening, it could be, you know, some, a, a little bit of arugula. I mean, whatever. And it, you don't have to do three cups. There are no hard and fast <laughs> rules here. I was just quoting the study, which demonstrated, sure. you know, I mean, eat a cup and a half and it's five and a half years younger. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I guess just to be more, more mindful about prioritizing that yeah, as frequently uh, as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And you can put them in a smoothie. You can put them in a sauce. I just posted a sauce yesterday that you you blend spinach into it. You don't even know it's there. I need you I know? need sneaky sauce, sneaky yes. veggies sauce ideas for for my picky children. Well, it's there, it's there right now. It's my latest post. I call it <laughs> sauce. <laughs> Fantastic. Let me give that a yeah. go. We talked a bit, uh, a little bit as well off air about about alcohol and and yeah, the, I was sort of saying that I've recently really drastically cut down almost to to nothing the amount of alcohol I'm drinking. Not quite sure how that's going to go over the holiday season, but we'll yeah, we'll see in January. But um, can you talk a little bit more about why? that might be something that we want to focus in on in, in midlife as women and, and also from the point of view of the sort of, you know, the preventative. Absolutely. So I think alcohol can be a bit confusing or a difficult conversation, first of all, because so many people do use it as, you know, sort of self-care mm. <laughs> right? so at the end of the day, a little relaxed with a glass of wine. And in addition to that, in the 90s, we started seeing studies that indicated that it might, that, you know, a, a glass of red wine in particular right. a day. Because with a sort of medita- Mediterranean diet with a glass right, of exactly. red wine. and yeah, may lower our risk of heart disease. Then it became more really about heart attack risk. Um, But now we do know that there is no amount of alcohol that's actually beneficial. Mm -hmm. So if you are not drinking, you should not start. If you are drinking a little, you shouldn't be drinking more (laughs) just to, you know, get the resveratrol. There are other ways to get it, you know, red grapes, several uh, cacao, you know, cocoa and chocolate. Mm -hmm. But Alcohol is a hepatotoxin, so it's very toxic to the liver. It's also a neurotoxin. It is toxic to the brain. There's no getting around that. If you are really serious about your brain health, if you have a family history of dementia and or, you know, including Alzheimer's, if you have a history of cancer, it is a major risk factor for seven different types of cancer particularly breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the American Cancer Society recently came out saying 
they don't advocate any alcohol at all. And uh, so that is a big change. And that I believe that we are starting to move in that direction more and more, that more um, organizations are willing to admit that no amount of alcohol is actually beneficial and any amount may actually be harmful. Now, again, this is a personal decision and there should be no judgment around this. There should be no judgment around your wellness practices, period. Mm -hmm. It's all about choice. What works for you? What works for your lifestyle? What is going to make you happy? Because happiness is a very important factor in wellness also. So, you know, if you enjoy your glass of wine at the end of the day, that may be a risk you're willing to take because it enriches your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think... Also, for some people, just it's not necessarily helpful approach to just say, okay, just cut it out completely, cut something Absolutely. out, you know, in isolation of, uh, and certainly for me, it, I think it was something that was really quite hard to come to terms with, if that makes sense, the sort of, and then not to say that, that, you know, I'm going to cut it out at this level forever because we are complex human beings and yeah. and society kind of really doesn't help those of us who are who are trying to stop or cut back on our drinking it's it's, it's not really, at all. really difficult to do that especially at certain yeah. times of the year right yes and you know it is i i part of what i do in my coaching is I talk about mindful eating. I also talk about mindful drinking if my clients drink. So it is more about just becoming more aware of your choices as opposed to coming home and automatically pouring the glass. Take a moment, give it some thought. Is, is this just what I do or is this something I genuinely want? And you know, it's a whole process of becoming more mindful about your eating practices and your and your drinking practices. But again, it is a personal choice and no one should judge you for it. But as we do get older, as we enter our 40s and certainly our 50s and our hormones are shifting around, alcohol does become more challenging for us to metabolize. In addition, women are just by nature, we have less of an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase or ADH, mm -hmm. which makes it more toxic to us and more difficult to metabolize. So all of these things are just things to consider. You know, it's always every health choice you make should be in within the context of your entire life. It shouldn't just be because a bit of data said something. You should be thinking about what genuinely works for you. And my job is just to present you with the facts as we know them today and then it is up to you to make the decisions. Like I always say, I bring the tools, you build the house. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back a little bit more to the link then between alcohol and the, the sort of the, the changes that it would bring about that would lead to dementia, Alzheimer's as their specific pathway? So admittedly, the mechanism isn't very well understood. We okay. just know that alcohol, its byproducts once it's metabolized, is toxic to pretty much every cell in the body, mm -hmm. but um, particularly the brain. I mean, we know that when we're intoxicated, right? That is not a normal state. <laughs> and we know that when we're hungover. That is not a comfortable state. All of this is because of the toxic effect of alcohol. And then, of course, the dehydration, which is partly what makes um, alcohol, what, make, what makes a hangover so brutal, is how it, it drops our blood sugar. Actually, a lot of people think that it causes a spike in blood sugar, and it mm -hmm. doesn't really, unless it's a very sugary cocktail. Okay. What it's more about is the drop 
in blood sugar. And this is why if you've had, you know, an indulgent evening, you might wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning. Right. Maybe... I was going to ask that. Is that so you, that's your body kind of suddenly going, oh, hang on. It's a <laughs> yeah, it's a few things. But a lot of it, it could be heart rate as well, but a lot of it is that drop in blood sugar. And this is why you might be even craving something like a piece of bread or a cookie or in the middle of the night, because your, your body is, your brain in particular, is asking to get refueled uh, and, and create recreate homeostasis, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, anyway, just about that hangover. Um, so if you, if you do indulge, couple things to prevent hangover or mitigate hangover. Make sure you get a lot of water before you go to bed. Electrolytes, mm -hmm. even better. And a little carbohydrate snack. It'll help. Okay. The next so week. kind of, yeah, just yeah. Car carry you over that little uh, right, sugar, sugar exactly. dip. Make it a little less brutal. But yeah, the, again, the mechanism between alcohol and, and dementia is certainly not well documented or well understood. It is, it's more um, assumed because we do know it's a neurotoxin. And then you talk also about how nutrition can impact on mood. So how, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, go into that a little bit more. Like how can we, I think you, you have a series called Good Mood Food. Um, yes. so how, kind of eating to, to improve, you know, just sort of general mood. Absolutely. And I do want to recommend a couple of books on mm. that. Right. particular as well. So however you want me, if you want me to say their titles and authors, or if you want to just type that in later and include it, but a couple of really great resources for that. There are specific nutrients. Again, nutrition is an ever-evolving science, like medicine, like technology. It, what we know today could be look very different, you know, yeah. to five, totally. 10 years from now. Yeah. And part of the reason we don't want to um, get super granular and micromanage our nutrients is because we know that, say, taking a vitamin C pill is not the same thing as getting vitamin C from an orange. It doesn't have the same impact on our bodies. And that's because there is a symphony of, of nutrient interactions in whole food that can't be replicated when you isolate nutrients. So I just want to be clear that eating whole foods is the best way to go as opposed to supplementing these mm -hmm. nutrients. But a few that are really important that we are definitely aware of, omega-3 fatty acids. Um, so the body, the human body most readily absorbs omega-3 fatty acids from fatty fish. So salmon, tuna, mackerel, halibut, sardines. There are omega-3s in, that's the form that's EPA and DHA. That's the type that the body brings in and, and just utilizes it very efficiently. Mm -hmm. Then in plant foods, there are also omega-3s, but they are ALA, which is not as easily converted by the human body, about 5 to 15%. So you are going to get omega-3 fatty acids technically from plant foods. They are just not as readily assimilated. If you are a vegan or vegetarian, algae supplements, algae um, omega-3 supplements are a good option for you because that will come in the form that the body um, utilizes really well. So omega-3s, yeah. really a lot of research about reducing incidence of depression, anxiety, and being extremely beneficial for the brain. It's actually the only type of fat that uh, the brain actually needs 
to operate. It doesn't need saturated fat. Yeah. It doesn't need monounsaturated. Yeah, omega-3s are an essential fatty acid. We mm -hmm. can manufacture the other types of fat in our bodies. We can't manufacture omega-3s and they are very important to the brain. So we need to consume them through. B vitamins. I mean, you know, a lot of people think of B vitamins as quote energy vitamins. They don't provide energy directly. What their job is essentially to convert the carbohydrate, protein, and fat that we eat into usable energy. So making sure you're getting a good amount of B vitamins, you know, taking a B complex supplement if necessary. I recommend my clients get their B12 checked annually because B12 deficiency is not uncommon. Another issue with um, even moderate alcohol intake, especially as we get older, B12 can become an issue. So making sure you're good there. And then antioxidants, you know, because um, oxidative damage from the environment, from stress, from um, alcohol, from you know the you know just uh, just toxins in the environment can cause oxidative stress or a nutrient a, a nutrient lacking diet, and we want to combat that however we can. So that's going to be your leafy greens and your uh, broad spectrum of colorful vegetables and fruits, and whole grains and nuts and seeds, olive mm -hmm. oil. Yeah, I think there is. Um... Well, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of this myself is, that uh, you know, buying kind of supplements, depending on what's the latest thing that I've read. Like, can sure. I go out and buy something that's got magnesium, uh, calcium and zinc in it? But uh, you're, you're saying that we should really try and prioritize getting those nutrients from the food that we're eating, if at all possible. Yeah. And listen, I, I believe in supplementation. I, I take supplements too for certain things, but if you prioritize food, you're, you are, it's just a smarter way to approach nutrition, to, to prioritize whole foods and using supplements more as insurance, like backup, as opposed to your primary source of a nutrient. Is there anything that we can actually end up being detrimental if we're, if we're supplementing things like calcium, I think, if we're having too much? Yeah, there's a lot of scrutiny on calcium supplementation now and it um, uh, being a risk factor for heart disease. Certainly the fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin D, vitamin E, they get stored in your body. So if you are consuming too much of them, it can become toxic. So I do recommend, there, there are three nutrients that I recommend my clients get tested annually at least, B12, vitamin D, and iron. Any of them in excess is toxic and any of them in deficiency is problematic. So we want to be sure that those three are in good working art order. Also folate um, is a good idea. Not quite as necessary as the other three, but I, I do recommend that. But yeah, the fat soluble vitamins can become toxic if we're consuming too many of them. The water soluble vitamins, we largely urinate out mm -hmm. uh, if, we, if we consume them in excess. So yeah, let's talk about some of the books actually that you were, you were going to recommend because I think that's always um, useful to kind of if anyone wants to take, take their, uh, their own research to the next level. Yeah, so Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety by mm -hmm. Drew Ramsey. That's a great one. Brain Food, that's Lisa Moscone. And she actually just came out with another book that I am in the middle of and I find excellent. When it comes to women's brain health, Dr. Moscone is my go-to. Are you and reading she, the XX Brain? I'm reading yes. that one. Yep. <laughs> it, is, it is excellent. Your Brain on, this is Your Brain on Food by Uma Nadu. 
that also, she's a nutritional psychiatrist. So is Drew Ramsey. So there's a lot there about psychology, psychiatry, and how nutrition impacts um, mood, depression, anxiety. So those are the two. This is your brain on food and eat to beat depression and anxiety is where I would go if you are, if those are issues for you or a family member, or you're just interested in prevention, just a wealth of knowledge. And uh, Lisa Moscone's brain food is is like a Bible to me. <laughs> I didn't realize she'd written that one as well as the, uh, the XX brain. So I'll definitely look that up. Really quick, the, the study I mentioned, the mind diet study that was published at Rush, Rush University Chicago. Um, it's called the mind diet. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, the author of the study wrote a book, there are several iterations now, but she wrote a book called the mind diet. So if you are particularly interested in Alzheimer's prevention, uh, dementia prevention, that is a great book to read as well. It's essentially taking the Mediterranean philosophy and uh, Mediterranean diet philosophy and tweaking it to, to particularly target dementia. Ah, fantastic. Well, I'll definitely, uh, I'll pop the links to all of those, or at least the information about each of those into the, the show notes. Yeah. And to your Instagram account, which is an absolute wealth of, um, of information and recipes and just kind of sensible <laughs> advice that is not kind of shoulding and you ought to do this and, and uh, kind of guilting us into feeling like we're failing at something, yet another thing. <laughs> No, I'm, you know, I'm, thank you for saying that. I'm very careful about that. You know, I think, because a lot of my clients will say to me, well, doctor so-and-so said this, or, you know, and and that doctor can be an MD, a researcher, you know, a neuroscientist, whatever. And what I always say is, you know, I think that dietitians have a very unique perspective when it comes to food advice, nutrition advice, because we aren't just knowledgeable about and interested in the science of food, we also understand human behavior because we've been up close and personal with clients who have, I mean, food is one of the most intimate relationships you will have in your life, right? It's about choices and it making you feel better or making you feel worse, or you you actually Mm. internalize it. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So the, we understand that piece of it. So yes, we want to pay attention to the science, but we have to translate it in a way that's doable, that that actually makes sense to people and doesn't make them feel shame and doesn't make them feel stressed out about what they, like you're saying, should be doing. We don't want to show it all over ourselves. We should be, you know, it needs to be something that actually works for us. So that's why, you know, if you do struggle with food, why I think dietitians are so important tooting my own horn here, but, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I think that we add that layer of understanding actual food behavior and understanding that it's a relationship, not just here's the science, do it. Yeah. You know it's, I mean? it's going to be achievable, hasn't it? For, for each of us. And that's going to look different for everybody, depending on their personal circumstances and their own kind of history with relationship with with food, what else is going on in their life, what other kind of stresses they're dealing with. And it's very frustrating sometimes to listen to some people who, I mean, they they have really good quality research, but it, it comes across very elitist because a lot of what they are recommending is not is not accessible mm. to a lot of people. And so we need to consider that as well. Yeah. 
I hear you. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. There's there's so much to unpack. I'm kind of looking forward to listening back to it all and scribbling notes for myself. And um... yes, absolutely. And I'm always here. So you know, I I mean, there it, truly we could talk for hours upon hours upon hours. So. We really could. We really could. But um, yeah, I'll pop a link to your Instagram account as well and to your website into the show notes. I definitely recommend giving Barbie a follow and uh, yeah, checking out some of the delicious recipes on her Instagram feed. Thank you so much. It was great spending time with you. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.